Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today is kind of a special episode. I'm joined by my friend, Lisa Rablick, and we're going to talk a little bit 30,000 foot view. We're going to talk about the entrepreneurial ecosystem a little bit, and we're going to talk about why it's so important and the role that you as a small business owner play in that ecosystem. Uh, and if you remember Lisa, she is the CEO and founder of Wicked Ideas, and she is a former journalist, and I love her take on so many things. So I think you're gonna enjoy this interview. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Wendy. Thank you. That was a beautiful interview uh, introduction. Thank well, you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just inspired and by am, the subject. I am. I am equally at, in awe of you. So, oh. yes. Thank you so much. Well, <laughs> let's talk about the entrepreneurial ecosystem because you actually did a report. Uh, about building community wealth a few years ago mm -hmm. in New Brunswick, yep. where you're from, about this very thing. Can you talk a bit about why you did that report? Like, what was the whole point of that? Sure. So um, the point of that report, it was for um, an economic development agency that had for the last few years been running a um, program uh around succession, trying to connect um, local businesses in the Fredericton region with um, newcomers, so immigrants, who were looking to invest in new businesses and trying to do that matchmaking service. And it didn't work. Um, and so they asked me to look at why it didn't work and um, what needed to happen. And so what I concluded um, was the problem was not on the immigrant side at all. Oh, interesting. Um, the problem was on the local business side because um, in the Canadian immigration system, people who are coming in as entrepreneurs, they are coming in with business experience because they have to come with the right. six figures um, ready to invest. So these are these are people who, if, even if they haven't been entrepreneurs in their home country, they've been senior executives or senior managers. So when they're looking to invest, that infer so they're not actually looking to, you know, be part like a part owner, but they're looking to purchase a whole business. They are looking to purchase the whole business. Okay. And um, when you come in on the entrepreneurial stream in Canada, um, your requirement is to purchase the business and be able to be running it for two years in order to get your um um, I can't remember for some of them, it would be getting back a deposit because some put down a deposit with, with the provincial government that they're coming in through. Um, but anyways, there's a two year requirement to run this business. So yeah, they're looking to purchase a business, um, as, um, that's the requirement of their immigration agreement. So these, um, these newcomers who are looking for businesses, um, they know their stuff. Right. And so that is why the problem is on the local side, because what was happening is, of course, it was a lot of really small businesses, a lot of retail, 
mm-hmm. you know, so so Main Street or stores in the mall. And quite frankly, the the businesses that were available to be purchased were not up to the standards that the immigrants were looking for in terms of their um, financial um, records to understand whether or not this was a truly profitable company and also how it could be able to scale or expand or open up new markets because many of the immigrants who were looking and kicking the tires, that's what they were looking for because they were coming. Some of the ones I spoke to, they had um, worked for multinationals and been in charge of the entire like North Africa, Middle East market, right? So they thought big. So they thought big. So they were coming in and looking at the, um, and they were also being um, toured around by government officials who were telling them about all the deep natural resources and re- and um, infrastructure and all those things that we use to sell the Maritimes in Atlantic Canada um, for in- for income um, for investment attraction, and so they thought, okay, great, there's an opportunity here, but what they couldn't find was something to purchase to explore the opportunity. And they really needed to buy that, didn't they? They did. To they satisfy the, the They need the to contract. buy. And quite frankly, if you need to get a business up and running in two years in order to satisfy, mm. well, it's better to buy something than to start from scratch in a brand new part of the world that you don't understand the market. So coming in and, and having a business that's already operating, has a customer base, has a supplier base, so they're basically buying something that's already working. That's right. Right. Um, so the first problem was what was available wasn't mm. up to standards. And then the second problem is that um, the companies that probably were more amenable um would but people didn't know they were for sale because how's how's some an immigrant supposed to know what's for sale because of course here in the maritimes um we are a friendly group of people to each other (laughs) and so you know you sell to people you know it's through a word of mouth that's often how business deals happen here and so it's very very difficult for someone new coming into the region whether they're coming here from montreal or they're coming from marrakesh yeah so they're not plugged in they're not plugged in Right. Mm-hmm. And so that would be a problem. So so that was a problem. So numbers then, plugged in. What else? Was there any other systemic issues that you saw in your report? Um, those would be the two major ones. Um, so, yeah, so it'd be not available. The, the, the availability of stock was not good. Um, no way to tap into that marketplace. Um, and uh, yeah, so those would be the two major ones. And then there'd be some other things that they would notice. And when we look at the 30,000 foot view of the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem, mm-hmm. you know, CFIB just did a report last year, and I found it fascinating about also the importance of so immigration, bringing new blood, new mm. ideas that think bigger Absolutely. and actually have the context to execute on that mm-hmm. is so key. But then also looking at the fact that um, in some of these smaller towns or smaller areas, these businesses could be key drivers of services, products, economy in that little area. So if they're not ready to sell or know how to be sold, because not everything is going to go down in the family. Right, exactly. Well, and what you're speaking to is is a, a phenomenon that I often describe as our greatest challenge is our greatest strength taking a step too far. And so one of the greatest challenges in um, Atlantic Canada 
is um, we don't know what we don't know um, because we, our, our businesses have done quite well serving a local market, maybe a regional market, and we, aren't necess- we don't necessarily know too much about what's going on behind, beyond the market that we currently serve because we haven't had to, mm. right? So that that tight knitted, you know, it's not six degrees of separation out here. It's maybe two and a quarter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope right? my joke is, is if you're more than two degrees removed in the Maritimes, you just got here. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a, that's a strength of this region, but it is also a challenge in terms of, in, in terms of encouraging businesses to scale up. So they, because because often what we see in the Maritimes is, or Atlantic Canada, is we have about the right size of large companies. So if you think of a large company as employing like, like a Sobeys, a Michelin, right, right. they're, they're employing a thousand people or more. Yes, we have about the right size number of those for the population. Mm-hmm. We have too many small companies. So those are companies that employ less than 100 people. And in particular, we have far too many micro businesses that employ one to 10 people. We have too many of those for our population. That is the anchor of this economy. Why is that a problem? That's a problem because we want capital, we want money to be able to flow through our communities. And so we need businesses that scale up to employ more people um, that have larger manufacturing plants or service centers um, that need to hire more vendors, right? Um, The more of those mid-sized businesses, so the 100 to like 500 size businesses, is the sweet spot for innovation Mm. and for the expansion of the workforce. Is it because they have the capital to invest? They have the capital. They have the capital. And what we want is that capital to help keep it in the Maritimes and Atlantic Canada. They have the capital to invest and support other businesses Mm. here, right? So take you, for example, right? So you're running a wonderful small business. And here we are. We're sitting in um, This Is Marketing's lovely podcast studio. So this is an example of you supporting another business. Um, And so when we do that, capital stays in this region. There's more reinvestment in the region and more prosperity for this region. So I think what you're talking to me a little bit is about buy local on steroids. Buy local on steroids. That's right. Um, Because what we're seeing happening, and it's happened always, but when we talk about globalization, um, and there are pluses and minuses, of course, but one of the things that we see happening with globalization, which by the way happened with the industrial age as well, is that you don't want to have too many corporations coming in here as branch plants or in the digital economy, uh, like the sharing economy. Um, mm. Like I love Airbnbs. I'm staying at one. I love Uber. But the problem with company having too much dependence on those is the majority of the capital leaves the region, right? The number of people making money on Airbnbs in the Maritimes is probably creating a nice little little extra bit of money for people. More of a side hustle. More of a side hustle. Or they might actually have a decent business. But the millions being made are sitting in Silicon Valley. Right. In the in the head office. So that's why you often hear um, 
uh, public policy people and governments and, and politicians talk about the need for more head offices. And that's what they're talking about. But we don't. So, yeah, it'd be awesome to have more head offices of those large size. But remember, I said we actually have an okay number of large size businesses. It's those medium sized businesses we don't have enough of. So if more small businesses could become mid medium sized businesses, we would be creating head. We would have these head offices for companies that employ a couple of hundred people, use a lot more vendors, mm. have an interesting supply chain, reaching out into the market exporting so right so they're sending stuff and so then they're bringing capital back into the market so if you're exporting to the united states and you you're doing the reverse of what airbnb and uber is doing right yeah. your head office is here so you're sending product out there and you're doing an awesome job of selling into the united states or wherever and then the capital is coming back here when it comes to you mentioned governments what is the government role in the economic ecosystem, if you will? Mm, that's a great question um, and much debated. Mm. Um, I think that the government's primary role is to create that level playing field. The more I think about this new economy and the economy that is emerging, I, I say that government is the original mission-driven organization. It is supposed to be values-based, right? Because mm -hmm. it's about citizens. We're a democracy. And so it should be based around our shared value system. And so I believe that a democracy's ultimate job is to ensure fairness. Um, and so the government's role is to ensure that we have that level playing field, that there is, a f there, there is fairness, and so that more capital can flow in the way we want that capital to flow. We want more capital flowing into this region and then sticking around in this region. You do you help people grow their wealth. I bet you you tell people how long does money stay with you, mm. right? If you're going to grow wealth, the, the you know, that money you brought in, you, you can't you know, you don't want to go spend it. You, you you need to hold on to it so it can multiply. Well, and when you look at it from that perspective, where can you invest, whether that's locally or in other market investments or whatever, that you get the best rate of return and can realize your overall goals, which is so important. Right. You remind me of a story. I had a client one time and he called me up and he goes, Wendy, I'd like to make invest more locally. And I said, oh, so you have maybe $100,000 of RSPs with me and your company's worth $2 million. I said, I think you're invested locally, right. right? It was just perspectives shifting from his point of view because he he wasn't looking at his business as an investment. Right. And I think if more Atlantic Canadians looked at their business as an investment rather than the source of money for them to pay the mortgage and do all those things, which yes. is what... A small business often is for people. If you make that mental shift to this is an investment that I'm making, then you are automatically in the business of wealth creation and wealth retention. Um, and I think that's a really important place to be. And, and then every decision you make, you will make it as an investor. And so then who are you investing in? Who gets your business? Yeah. And then... When you start thinking like that, 
Well, then who gets the business when you are ready to walk away? That's right. And I think there's a little bit, a lot of people I know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they fall into this, I'm never retiring camp. Right. Or Who are these people? <laughs> and then there's people who I think forget sometimes that um, they might get just get tired. Like right. the pandemic wore out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I was talking to some accountants and stuff, and they're like, they're, they're selling their business. They've not done the proper planning. And they're, they're sending thousands of extra dollars to CRA because... They can't wait. They're tired. Right. Right. And so, you know, so this is where if, so I think we have to anticipate that, you know, like I look at succession planning because Mm -hmm. that is what that report was all about. It was about how do you enable, because, because succession planning happens on a couple of levels. So on the one level, it helps at a personal level. So I've put, I've put all this wealth into my business. I, I built up IP. I, I have a client list or whatever, and that's worth something. And so I'm going to sell it when I decide to retire. And that will be my, the final gift that this company gives to me. Yes. Right. Um, at a public policy level, we want that succession to happen mm-hmm. because that's all capital in the region. And when a business closes, that's capital disappearing right that's the opposite of the end of uh, it's a wonderful life when an angel gets its wings that's when an angel cries right <laughs> because and i do get sad when i he- read of uh, businesses just closing not because they weren't good businesses it's just that they're people a couple are you know it's usually a couple sometimes it's a single person uh, they're, they're ready to retire and they just shut the business and, and i'm sad for that because the business meant something to that community, but also the flow of capital now has one less doorway mm. through which to pass. And in Atlantic Canada, we need more doors. Talk a bit more about why do we need more doors? We need more doors because we need more wealth. Um I have been talking about access to capital for over 20 years. So mm. I started as a journalist and I've, I continue to talk about access to capital. It is why the startup community has, it was started here, was diff- because VCs in other parts of the country weren't coming here. So we needed angel investors here to want to invest local. We need capital because capital is what makes the world go round, right? Money makes the world go round. So we need that. And also when we are creating our own capital and we're sharing it amongst ourselves, we have better control over it. And we get to choose where those investments happen. So as opposed to when people from a, when a corporation from afar is participating here, we are just a branch plant for them. No There's no ties. Long, no matter how wonderful that company is. No, it doesn't matter. They, they, they are, they're wonderful. They're a great company. So this is, this is no shake against yeah, multinationals. Well, we do want multinationals here. But they don't have that tie and they are not as invested in growing the economy of the region. The main purpose they are here is because we offer them something, natural resources, human resources, access to a market through ports and whatever, that is beneficial to them. And in exchange, they provide us with some benefits. Right. When we are in control of our own financial wealth creation journey, we are better able to be 
in control of the trajectory of this region. I'm not sure this is relevant, so you tell me you're not, but I was, you're, you brought up to mind the supply chain issues that <laughs> so many people felt mm. and, and were hurt by during the yeah. pandemic. Like a, a vibrant ecosystem, entrepreneurial ecosystems, it must not be as severe. Oh, yeah, of course it wouldn't be, right? Um, I'm originally from Mississauga, mm -hmm. um, and every time I go home, and I fly into Pearson, and then when I'm driving down the 427 to get to my parents' house, all I do is pass um, all the um, distribution centers. Right. Um, so, yes, of course. Um, it's why my niece, who lives in Seattle, orders something on Amazon, and it's at her door in a few hours. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right? So, uh, of course, yes. Uh, supply chains are something we should all be thinking about because we all should be thinking actually about infrastructure. And that's what supply chains are part of is mm -hmm. infrastructure. Um, I was uh, listening to uh, the Pivot podcast uh, on my drive up to see you. And Scott Galloway was saying he loves all infrastructure investments. So when you ask me what government needs to do, government needs to invest in infrastructure. What is infrastructure? So infrastructure is anything that allows for the free flow of goods, services, people, or resources, okay? So infrastructure is anything that allows stuff or people to move. So that's a road, um, that's, a, that's a train track, that's airports and airlines. In the digital age, it is also high-speed high internet and it is wireless. It strikes me as it's also policy. Absolutely. Because you think about, what is that, that case, that guy was bringing beer back from mm -hmm. Quebec? And yes. Got, oh, got, I know. The people of Edmonston are always debating whether or not where they're <laughs> going to buy. Yes, the, the yes when you live on the border of Quebec. Yeah, so actually policy is actually uh, the level below infrastructure. So if I was to describe mm. the best way to get to wealth creation is you start with your value proposition, which should have a shared value proposition. So everybody should be agreeing with you. Uh, so you should have a shared value proposition. When you know what that is, then you will develop the policies that reflect that value proposition. So as a company, if you if you decide your one of your values is that you want to buy local, you want to support your local economy, then you're going to come up with um, vendor policies and supply chain policies that are about building wealth locally. And then the layer on top, and so the same with government, right? Mm -hmm. So if government says we need to figure out how to grow wealth and, and, and enable succession in Atlantic Canada and Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, PI, Newfoundland, um, then you need to develop policies that support that value system. And then if you know that those are those policies, then the infrastructure goes on top of those policies. Nice. And then on top of that goes all of the economic activity. And if you get the first three layers right, you shouldn't have to think too much about the fourth. Mm. With the, it feels like the world has um, gone into globalism, open borders. Mm. It feels like it's being clawed back a bit now with some protectionism and all that type of stuff. What are your thoughts on that? And how is that affecting us well, in, our, in our ecosystem? Well, we are about to feel it. We don't realize it yet. Um, so uh, earlier this year, U.S. President Joe Biden passed the American Inflation Act. I think that's what it's called, Inflation Act. Um, it is putting, I 
believe over a trillion dollars into the American economy um, to stimulate the American economy largely through um, decarbonize, decarbonization. So getting us getting them to a green economy and it is giving preference to companies that buy American. So about to preference to American companies that that use an American supply chain. Now there are a few points, particularly around automobiles, where Canada is not is con considered part of that domestic conversation. But that is going to be a massive suck of investment into the United States from around the world into innovation and green technologies and the next the, the next economy is going to be driven into the United States. This is proving to be a huge problem here in Canada. We're hearing public we're hearing policymakers talk about it and also business people because they are concerned that it will be harder for Canadian businesses to attract investors um, mm. because they're going to get a better bang for their buck in the United States. Because we cannot, Canada's a tenth of the American market, tenth of the population, we cannot match them dollar for dollar. So Canada, the federal government is going to have to pick a very specific, very specific lanes for us to go down. We're seeing this play out right now in the massive subsidies that have been awarded to Volkswagen and I think Stellaris in Ontario to build EV plants for electric cars. And so that's been quite a conversation in Ontario, with massive oh, that's subsidies. that's right. There was a big kerfuffle between mm -hmm. the provincial and federal government about who was going to put in what. Right. So that is the first example of the impact of this new act in the United States. So for Atlantic Canada... Mm. What are we going to focus on? What are we going to be good at? Because we sure as heck can't compete dollar for dollar with the Americans. So what are we going to do for how we're going to attract wealth, wealth into the region and hold on to it? As a business owner, what is something that I can focus on? Like I can't affect or I cannot change U.S. policy. No. I cannot you know, attract, attract that type of stuff. However, so as a local business owner, is there anything that you would recommend that can be something I have control over? What mm. do I have control over that will help not only my business, but maybe the overall ecosystem in our region? You have control over the direction in which you want to take your company. My girlfriend, Gina, said to me when she... Um, uh, was starting her business, her hairstylist, her wise, wise hairstylist said to her, well, you're starting a business? Congratulations. That's the first step. The second step is start to plan for succession. Let's, I, I want to dig into that word as our sounding point, because I think sometimes succession sounds like it's all about all in the family, but succession... <laughs> Right. Covers more than that. Yes, yes. So what is succession? So succession, if we go back to the first example of the report I did for the capital region in New Brunswick, succession is make, is getting, ensuring that your business is ready to move on without you and that you benefit from it moving on. Thank you, Lisa. And, and I want... Do you, the audience to know our next we're going to do another episode so the next episode of the real bottom line we're going to give you some practical tips mm -hmm. and ideas on how you can actually 
make your business ready to sell. That's right. And that is something you should be working on every day. You should know what you want your business to be. Because in working towards succession, you actually are working towards success today. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. My pleasure. So the real bottom line here today is you are part of the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem and you have control over how you grow your business, which will affect the entire ecosystem. Are you looking to boost your business value beyond just increasing profit? Introducing the Business Value Amplifier, a revolutionary 10-week program designed to help you uncover proven methods to enhance your company's worth. Discover how to transition from feeling unsure about maximizing your business value to becoming a savvy operator who deliberately and methodically pulls the levers of value building. With the Business Value Amplifier, you can expect to take control of your business's growth and be intentional about enhancing its value. Whether you're planning to sell or simply want a more vibrant, predictable, and lucrative operation, this program is for you. Don't miss out on this opportunity to amplify your business's value in just 10 weeks. Go to blackstarwealth.com amplify and apply for the Business Value Amplifier today. That's blackstarwealth.com slash amplify. Your business will thank you. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.